market. The S&P, the stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that's more big audio dynamite than big W. I'm Andrew Page, and with me is Scott Phillips. G'day, Andrew. G'day, fools. Thanks for joining us. Today on the podcast, Woolies still in the wars. Can big W really be worthless? Next, the Trump trade. We're going back to Trump. Donald Trump presidency is the gift that keeps on giving for investors. Well, at least so far. We'll talk a bit about that. And also your property investment checklist. The do's and the don'ts for any would-be property moguls out there. So, Scott, it's been a very big week for the movers and shakers. Let's get straight into it. Now, a company that's always in the headlines is uh, Woolies, of course. Um, They had a big, uh, I think it's fair to call it a debacle with uh, Masters. Yes. But now Big W is getting all the attention. From the sublime to the ridiculous. And uh, man, this this thing is really struggling. So, you know, Chairman Gordon Cairns was saying at at the AGM that, look, this is a business that made 200 million a few years ago. Now he's saying, I don't think we get anything for it if we tried to sell it. That's a phenomenal. You think about how many stores there are for Big W, how long Woolies has opened it, how much money has been contributed by Big W to Woolies over the course of time. And they're saying this is literally worth nothing. If it's sold in the open market today, I mean, look, he's saying that you know metaphorically, but effectively, you know, from a $200 million profit to be not being worth anything, it's a pretty damning story on the Big W you know, business as it stands. But maybe not a, a, an entirely bad idea, hypothetically, to sell it even for nothing. So let's just say, like, give it away, <laughs> close it down. If, if you're not making any money and you're having to pump you know, a lot of cash into this to, to try and turn it around, they, they admitted that this is at best a multi-year turnaround if they manage to do it. Were we here before with Dick Smith? We, we were. Didn't, didn't Willie sell Dick Smith to private equity for almost nothing and they flogged it for half a bill? Yeah, yes. We, we all know how that ended. <laughs> well, well for the private equity guys, right? Yeah, look, it's one of these things. We can give them a hard time for it, but I mean... They, this yeah, is, why not? This is the they they have got some <laughs> some really big challenges here. I mean, the core yeah. operations, you know, well well discussed with with the supermarket facing pressures from the likes of Aldi, most notably, but mm-hmm. but uh, uh, you know, Coles certainly um, cutting into their lunch as well. Yep. Costco, Liddell coming, and the rest of it. Things same store sales have been falling. It's been a really really tough period mm-hmm. for them. Um, and you know, when you are as big as you are, it, you really do need to find new avenues of growth. And and you know, th- that was that was the theory behind Masters. That's why they moved into. And let's face it, they have some really big successes moving into liquor mm. and into petrol and the rest of it. Mm. So I, I don't know, but 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 the other thing that you sort of see with businesses is that um, you know a lot of shareholder wealth can be torn up by people stubbornly hitting their head against a wall and trying to <laughs> resuscitate yeah, right. something that just can't be resuscitated. Yeah. And is, is that the case with Woolies? Uh, sorry, with Big W? Man, I'm going to take a bob each way on this one. I'll, okay. I'll come to, you'll make me come to a conclusion, I'm sure, at some point. Yep. But look, here, here's the challenge. As you said in the opener, this is a $200 million profit business at some point in the past. So it's kind of like you, you've either got to believe that, that it's gone from being a valuable business to one that's worth absolutely nothing, despite that success in the past, and mm-hmm. something fundamentally has changed, which it might. Maybe. And so you're kind of thinking, well, I, can you really not get either ongoing profit or some sort of decent price from a business like that. It had some cachet, it had some brands, it had some customers. It was doing what it was doing and doing it really, really well. On the flip side, you think about the triumvirate, right? So Kmart, Target, and, and Big W. Mm. They're, they're kind of in the same space. Target's a bit more fashion, Kmart's Dis- a bit more home. Discount department stores. Right. right. So 
the, the challenge is I think the market in Australia is probably big enough for two, not three. Mm. And they tend to take it in turns. Yeah. So Kmart's in the ascendancy right now, and that's why Big W is struggling. Yeah. But it was like doing it tough for a long time, wasn't it? Right, a bit yeah. like the Coles and Woolies story. So yeah. when Coles is doing well, Woolies struggles to get growth and vice versa. Mm. The challenge is at some point, is this genuinely a cyclical thing where at some point Woolies will start, the Big W will start doing well again? Mm. Or has something actually changed in the market? I think there might have been a change. Let me explain. Yeah, Kmart so. used to be like Big W. It, it, they were they were pretty much peas in a pod. Mm-hmm. You walked into one store, you walked into the other. You kind of didn't need to know where you were. Yeah. They kind of both did the same thing. Yeah. Kmart changed the game. And what changed was, in the past, the, the brands of the merchandise they were selling drew people into the stores. Mm-hmm. You want to buy your Bonds undies, you'd go to Woolies or, or to Big W or Kmart and you'd buy your Bonds undies. What happened is Kmart said, well, actually, we don't need Bonds undies. And we don't need Rip Curl t-shirts and we don't need Billabong shorts and we don't need XYZ. What they basically did is, they, remember that pri- those price ads they had yeah. where the mums went into the store, they all these new sh- the prices, it was $3 for this, $4 for that, $7 for this. Yeah, crazy cheap. Yeah. They basically said, let's get rid of all the brands. Yeah. We all have just, it's, it's, a, it's a home brand store. It's a private label store now. Yeah. For the va- very vast majority of those brands, either Kmart control the brands or they aren't branded at all. Mm-hmm. And so you can buy a $7 t-shirt or you can go to BW and buy a $25 Billabong t-shirt. Yeah. And so that's the challenge. And consumers have decided, for better or worse, that it's the store brand that matters now, not the merchandise brand itself. And people are going to Kmart rather than BW, mm. rather than Target, because they're buying the cheap stuff. It's a decent enough shirt. I went to well, Hamilton it's, it's Island. Hard, it's hard to compare you know, 7 bucks against 25 right? Right. So I went to Hamilton Island a couple of years ago, and I think I, I, must, I must have bought four shirts, three or four pairs of shorts, um, a couple of pairs of thongs from memory and I got out of it for less than a hundred bucks and you think that, you know, five years earlier it would have cost me 200, 250 bucks to buy that much stuff because it would have been a, you know, a few $25 shirts, a couple of $30 pairs of shorts, a couple of $30 you know, pairs of thongs, whatever it was. Mm. These days you can get away with all of that stuff for less than a hundred bucks. If you're happy to, to uh, be dressed entirely by Tajay or, you've, or you've, Kmart. You've you want to my... be different on that front. <laughs> That's why this is a podcast, mate, not, not a video cast because no one wants to see us. Some, some of us have some self-respect. <laughs> not us, though. So, look, that's the, um, the, you know, that's, that's the reality. So, I think Big W is in a bit of a bind now. They're trying to stay at that house of brands because they know it differentiates them. The problem is the consumers don't want to be differentiated. They want to shop at Kmart. They want a cheap, reasonable-ish quality shirt. No one's going to pretend they're great quality. But for five, seven bucks, you wear it for a couple of years, particularly with the kids. Like, how quickly do kids grow out of stuff? Mm. You wear a $7 shirt for a couple of years, throw it away, or give it, give it to the yeah. next generation of kids coming through, versus a $25, $30 shirt you would have bought previously and had exactly the same life. So right now, it really is that story of Kmart has changed the game in discount department stores. Target caught on the hop. Uh, frankly, for West Farmers who own Target, they're having the same problem with Target. It's also probably not worth a great deal. There's just not enough business, not enough profit to go around to keep all three making money. So if you were the uh, the chief wheeler and dealer at uh, Woolies, what would you be doing? Would you would you look to, to flog it off, shut it down, or would you pump a bunch of cash into it and, and hope to revive its fortunes? Mate, I reckon I'd do neither. I reckon because it is cyclical, um, or likely cyclical, as long as it's not losing too much money, if it's losing money, I'd probably cut it off. Yep. Right? If there's yep. no chance of it actually getting back to break even or making money at all, yep. then cut it off. You know, Losing money for the sake of it is just simply not worth it. Yep. Sell it, shut it down, do whatever you need to do. Yep. The issue they've got is they've got some leases which they need to pay out yes. if they do close the store. Yep. So there are some issues there. Yep. But if you're losing money in BW and you can't lose less by closing it, yep. which is possible if you've got to pay the leases and the stores are closed, you're getting zero dollars. So sure. there's some value of doing something. But I reckon I'd probably keep it going until they made a bit of money and then try and find a buyer once there'd been some mm. flicker of, of hope. And if you can get a couple hundred million, half a billion dollars for that business that you know someone else thinks they can grow well, then good luck to them. They can go and pick it up. Um, like the Dick Smith thing, buying, selling at the bottom of the cycle, probably not the best thing to do unless you believe that genuinely BW has no hope of being turned around, in which case you should walk away. Look, we won't get into all the other facets of, of Woolies, but just very quickly before we tie this up, uh, overall, are you a buyer of Woolworths? 
I like the Woolies business. I like what Woolies used to be. I like Brad Banducci, the new CEO. Yeah. I like their food and liquor business. Yeah, totally. I think they're getting back on track. Mm. I don't know that I'd buy it at today's price, but yeah, a little bit cheaper, I'd probably be pretty interested. Particularly if I wanted the dividends, pick if I wanted a, a kind of a core bottom drawish type of stock. Yeah. Um, well, it's just kind of hard to go past. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You? That's fair. No, look, for me, it's, it's too expensive. I think it's, it's got, got great assets and the rest of it, but you know, you got to pay attention to, to what you're paying, especially for a business that's not likely to have much growth for at least, at least the, the yeah. medium term. So on the watch list, but no, nah, there's better uses for my money. Good point. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's talk about Trump. Now, Trump's come up <laughs> Again. a few times. It's hard not to talk about the guy, isn't it? Hail to the chief. So when we talked a little bit before about, you know, just the, the, the really counterintuitive moves that we saw on the market, and that's continued in the yep. wake of the US election. Yep. So the market's up uh, close to 6.5% since, um, mm -hmm. uh, since the US presidential election. Uh, we've seen uh, bond yields rise mm -hmm. as well. They've gone from 2 to 2.8% or so from Australian government treasuries. Yep. Um, and so, you know, it, it's bizarre, but the, the question that we, I guess, wanted to dive into today is, is this likely to continue? Is, is, this, is this a train that you want to jump on? Yeah, I think it's a great point. What I've been really interested in is the, the change in people's moods. Go back pre-election. Trump wasn't going to win. No. And not only that, if he did win, the markets were going to crash. Yep. There was going to be a terrible, terrible crash. Four, five, six, seven percent, whatever the numbers were going to be, it was going to be awful. Yeah, and it didn't feel like a 60-40 bet either. It felt like yeah, there's a ninety-nine percent right, right, chance right. of that happening. And in fact, yeah. when when you know the Australian market closed the day after the election, down two percent after being down four percent earlier in the day. Yeah, right. now this, the market had already started to price in a Trump presidency, yeah. and things were looking really bleak. Yeah. Not only did Trump overcome the odds, mm. but gold was supposed to go up. It went down. The market was supposed to go down. It went up. Yeah. Um, the dollar was supposed to go down. It's also gone up. Yeah. Up, up's gone down. Um, yeah, if everything's you know, turned on its head, you've said before, we're, we're really through the looking glass, and that's exactly right. Black is white, up it, is down, forward is It's Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alice in Trumpland, maybe. Look, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the real answer, since the election, the reverse has happened. Mm. The market's absolutely taken off. People are seeing Donald Trump as the great white hope for, no pun intended, by the way. <laughs> that's um, terrible. For, yeah. um, you know, for, for markets, for capitalism, mm. for free markets. Mm. And whatever, you know, come what may with that, he's going to repeal you know, regulation. He's going to let resources companies mine. There's going to be more business and consumer confidence. Basically, he's going to kickstart the American economy again. Mm. And, you know, great news for coal, great news for iron, great news for oil. You know, lots more exploration, sales, activity. Mm -hmm. He wants to spend a billion dollars on infrastructure. Mm. A whole lot of stuff going on in the U.S. economy that mm -hmm. the market's now saying, oh, we thought Trump was this dangerous unknown quantity. Mm. Now, all of a sudden, he's the savior of the free world. Um, I don't think either was necessarily completely true. Yep. The big risk right now is the market's acting as if it's a fait accompli. Right. As if what Donald Trump is going to do as president is definitely going to happen. Yep. And the market's now worth 6% more. Now, 6% isn't much, but you think about it. If this was a trillion dollar market, it's now a $1.06 trillion market. That's You know, this $600 million being added to the market, whatever it is, yeah. billion dollars. Yeah. Um, $60 billion, I should say. That, that's a lot of money to add to a market mm. just because a new guy's come to power. Mm. And there's a lot of hope about what he might do, but frankly, some of that uncertainty still exists. So you've taken you've taken a possible downside and said, not only is it not a downside, but actually it's a really good thing. Yeah. Is it likely to be in the fullness of time? Maybe. I don't know. It's a, it's a basically the market's priced it in. You're now buying shares. If you if you're buying on the basis of Trump, you're buying shares at effectively full price after that's priced in, with the possibility that he disappoints. So we're talking about asymmetric trades. That's not a lot of upside potential and potentially a big downside if the wheels fall off. Yeah. And it's one of these things, the market never really seems to learn the lessons that it, it gets <laughs> it gets presented Ever. with, you know, repeatedly. So, you know, we, you've just talked before about, you know, everyone, and I'm, I'm 
these these aren't idiots. You know, these are very very smart people who have worked in the industry for a long long time. Good track records. They say something. It, it becomes the, the narrative, and then the opposite right. happens. And, and it, but this again and again and again. And so so that's all happened. And now there's a new narrative, and, and you've just you've just articulated <laughs> it nicely. Yep. And okay, that's what's going to happen. It's like, well, wait a second. If if the, you've gone to a doctor and he's misdiagnosed you like eight times out of ten, and then he, and you go back and he tells you, okay, this is what you've got. Yep. At some point, you got to go. Hang on, I've got to stop using these market movements to inform me. That's a great Buffett quote. The market is there to serve, not to inform. And I think that's that's sort of the point we're trying to make here. Mate, if you want a, a single lesson in how dramatically the market, the herd, the, the mentality changes so incredibly quickly and so literally 180 degree turnaround. Mm. A day, two, two days, three days before the election, a Trump presidency was terrible for markets. Two weeks hence, a Trump presidency is wonderful for markets. Nothing's changing that... T- Trump hasn't even and taken it power reverse, yet. It could reverse just as quickly. Right, right. right. He's, he's literally sitting still yeah. in, in Trump Tower. He's still up two months out, almost exactly to the day, from taking the presidency. And yet markets have gone from Trump is terrible, maybe down 5%, mm. to Trump is wonderful, up 6%. Yeah. On on what on literally nothing other than a victory speech and a couple of uh, a couple of you know um, presidential appointments. Yeah. That's all that's happened, and yet yeah. there's a ten percent turnaround in expectations based on nothing. But yeah. the herd, once they believe it, once they start running in one direction, keep running yeah. until they don't. And it's not though. It's not as though, just to be clear here. It's not as though we're saying you know the market is definitely wrong. I mean, it'll be it'll be right, right a lot of the time. I think the point is is that you don't want yourself to be led by these events <laughs> exactly, and you don't want any kind of investment strategy that you're prosecuting to be informed by this. I mean, it, it just you know, we sound like a broken record, and we are, <laughs> but it really comes back to you know what what is the business you're buying? Is it at a sensible price? Are you yep. looking to hold this for a few years? Now, whatever happens in the future, it's going to be scary. It's going to be uncertain. Certain. That's whether Trump's in the White House or not. It's just right. an uncertain, chaotic world. So don't let that stuff distract you. Spend your time worrying about understanding the business and what's a fair price to pay, and you are in much, much, much better better shape. And frankly, Andrew, if you're invested in certain companies, just be a little bit careful right now. So the iron ore price has gone from 40 bucks a ton to $70 plus, yeah. almost 80 bucks a ton. Yeah, in a very short space That's of time. almost a double in what? A few months. Yeah, the Australian dollar has gone from seventy-eight cents to seventy-three cents. <laughs> there is, there is, you know, yes, absolutely. To your point, we'll buy long-term. We'll invest for the long term, buying quality businesses mm. and pay decent prices. That's absolutely true. Just be careful if you've seen the, the mining companies run up in price because iron ore's on the up. Yeah. Don't just jump on the momentum because it's there. Yeah, people love to extrapolate. Don't be, they? Just be, yeah. be very, very careful. Some of these things, you know, if the, the market's up five percent, but the iron ore price has doubled. Right, so mm. there's a lot more risk in some parts of the economy, some parts of the investment markets than there are in others. So, to your point, buy quality companies, focus on the long term. Just be careful which companies you buy, fools, and don't expect just because the results have been okay thus far or great thus far for some of those companies that, as you say, Andrew, you can simply extrapolate. Get more motley fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Scott, let's talk about everyone's favorite topic. <laughs> let's let's talk about. Me. Property. Oh no, sorry, okay, property. Sorry, <laughs> that's okay. your favourite topic. <laughs> let's let's talk about property investment. Okay, and it's you know we, we hear it. We've done that before. From, we? we do, but we keep hearing it from listeners. Uh, we they they want to they want to hear more about it, and we're okay. happy to talk about it. Um, we, we just love investing and frankly, we'll invest in anything that makes us money. And man, has investing in property made you money? <laughs> well, not me, because uh, for some reason I was too clever by half to invest in it. But <laughs> but it's made a lot of people a bunch of money. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, what we wanted to do here is say, you know, again, not, not sort of take this an ideological stance or shares are better or this is worse or whatever, right, but it's right. more about saying, well, okay, great. You want to invest in property? It's actually a, a pretty great asset class. There's no denying that. 
But I think the problem that we sort of come across a lot is that there's the, the motivations and the thinking behind it is, ah, mm-hmm. oh, if I buy it, it'll go up 10% a year for a few years. And I just need to get on the quote unquote prop- property ladder. Once I'm in, I'm, I'm made. Yep. And, and I think that's very dangerous thinking. So we just sort of want to highlight some, some things to consider before you dive in, because, you know, it is a lot of debt to take on potentially, and, and there are some risks out there. So we just want people to think about it a little clearly. So, so take, kick us off here, Scott, what's mm-hmm. the, what's the first thing to think about? Look, I, I think the first thing when you, when you think about investing in property, think about why you're doing it and specifically what is the outcome you're looking for? I want to make a gazillion dollars <laughs> in, a, in a month. That's why I'm doing it. Then I've got a bridge I want to sell you. <laughs> yeah. Look, so, so how are you going to make that gazillion dollars? Yeah, There's right. two ways you can make money from yep. property, yep. Um, like shares. Yep. The first is capital gain. Yep. The second is income. So price going up. You got it. So and rent. Ha- Yes, the house yeah. price goes a bit more than it was, or you get some rent from, from your tenants. Okay. Those are the two ways, and, and often a combination of those, yep. in terms of what you want to achieve. But it's really important that you get that right, because the sort of property you pay, you buy, how much you pay, mm. what your expectations are, it's really, really dependent on that. Now, mm. frankly, if you start with, I just want to make a lot of money in property, mm. you've probably started from kind of the wrong perspective, because yeah. you're not going to make the right decision for you. If you're a shares investor, we're a shares company, mm. as, as you've said, we look at that and say, do I want a dividend? Do I want a high yield? Am I retiring? I want a high yield. Yep. Or you're saying, well, I'm 25. I want to take some more risk. I actually want to buy some some great growth companies that are going to be a bit volatile. Yep. That's the, You want to make money? Absolutely. But how you go about making that money, your time frame, what you're expecting from it, how you go about finding the right shares, or in this case, the right property, depends very much on what you need as an investor, what your risk tolerance is, what your approach is, and how you're trying to make that cash. I think one of the mistakes that people make these days, and again, we mentioned it earlier, there's this, this idea that we just all love to extrapolate. We see what sort of happened over recent history and we just think that continues in, indefinitely. Right. And we have seen some spectacular capital gains. Obviously, the more that we see of that, the harder it is for future gains to be made. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, things need to be supported by income or debt or something, you know, and and I think the danger that, that I see with people is that there's this, this really strong faith that it's it's written in the stars that their property will go up 10% year after year after year. It's something that's absolutely not supported by the evidence. Tell the people in Perth. Yeah, absolutely. People in Gold Coast before that, you yep. know, look at, look at the people in Spain, in Ireland, <laughs> in the US. I mean, these, these things can go down and do go down from time to time. So we're not saying, hey, everything's about to crash, yep. therefore don't do it. Yep. But what are your expectations? Remember, if you're only betting on someone paying you a higher price in another year's or two years' time, it's called the greater fool theory. Yep. And it just Lowercase f. Yeah, lowercase f. Unlike Motley Fool. Exactly. F. So, so it, it, it's people basically gambling on what sentiment is going to be. And really, right. in one or two years, is the short term. Yep. And, and that could be a little bit risky. So just have a bit of a think about that. The better, the better thing to do is, at least with, with the, the rental side of thing, that is much, much more dependable. And you want, I think, a pretty good base to start with, and then the rest will tend to look after itself. Let's, in fact, talk a bit about yields. Yep, good idea. Um, that's the second point that we want to talk about here. So people people will know that rental yields are pretty poor at the moment. Mm-hmm. Now, that's probably justified to some extent because interest rates are low. Uh, you know, yields on the market are lower than what they are historically. Um, so, so that's fine. But I think another mistake that people make is that they talk about things on a gross basis. So that what is the rent that I'm getting versus the price that I've paid for the property? So I'm getting 100 bucks a week and I've paid... Half million dollars for the property. Right. So that's worth, that's a 1% rental yield, for example. I'll take your word for it. I, I can't do that in my head. <laughs> but what? But, but I think what you really have to do before you start doing your sums is you've got to take off your expenses. Yep. And there are some very real expenses here. There's agents fees, there's council rates, there's strata, there's maintenance and upkeep, repairs, mm. all of these kinds of things. And if you're not including them in, you're, you're diluting yourself. 
Um, and so if you're looking at trying to do your sums and w- working out what your yield is, work out the net yield is what we're saying. Yeah, that's right. When you buy shares, you don't have to pay anything out of those shares other than a bit of tax. Mm-hmm. If you've got cash in the bank, you're getting the interest. You get that all interest, except for, again, a little bit of tax. Yep. When you get the rent from your tenant, you get all that. You've got to pay some tax, but you've got to pay the other costs as well. So you need to make sure if you're comparing what you're getting from shares uh, from property, particularly when their capital gains are uncertain, you want to be very, very careful that you're getting as much, uh, the money you need, specifically because you've got to pay the difference, right? And that's yes. the important part. So the next point is um, the tax number three. side of things. Yes. Number three, the tax side of things. So uh, Australia's favorite investment strategy is, <laughs> is, is negative gearing. Uh, which which raises a few eyebrows um, around our office, but anyway, you, you've you've set out thinking I'm I'm going to make a loss every year, and that's yep. great because it means I get to pay less tax. Um, now, more money you lose, the less tax you pay. Isn't it fantastic? How could that possibly you know, go bad? By the way, people can donate money to me, and you know that, that, that'll that'll help uh, as a tax deduction. So 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 so. I guess the thing is, and that's, Andrew Page isn't a registered charity, by the way, folks. The, the Human Fund. I'll, I'll start one. <laughs> so, so let's say let's say um, that you're going to do that, and, and, and again, we have to acknowledge that it has been a strategy that's worked particularly well. Mm-hmm. But the only reason it has worked well to date is because of all of those, all that money that you have lost, you have made it back with the capital gain. Right. So I guess what we're saying here is, and that's that that is fine, I suppose, if that's your strategy. Yep. But you need to be very clear on what needs to happen for that strategy to pay, to pan out in the way that you hope. It kind of takes those first two points and puts them together. If you're not making yep. a capital gain and you're losing money on your income, you're kind of losing Pretty both ways, right? The only the yeah. only value the only value in making a loss, the only reason you want to make a loss and get that tax deduction, is if you're going to make it up with those capital gains. Yep. And again, to your point earlier, Andrew, about the greater fool theory. If you think someone's going to pay you more for the property in a couple of years' time, mm. why is that the case? Mm. And don't just say because it always has. Yeah. Because shares always, always went up before the Great away. Depression. Yeah, right. And shares always yeah. went up before the GFC. And mm. she, you know, the shares are no different. But over time, the productive capacity of Australian business mm. drives share prices higher because profits rise. Yep. You've got to have a very clear sense of why you expect property prices to keep going higher. Mm. And by what? To beat that capital loss you're making, even if you're getting a tax deduction, it's yep. still costing you money out of pocket. Yep. You have to replace that money with some capital gain. You've got to know where that gain's coming from. Yeah, excellent. Point. What's next? The next point is have a buffer. A buffer? Warren Buffer. Uh, no, 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 no oh. different one. Oh, uh, Buffett, sorry. A buffer. So what I'm saying here is is that I, you, you, we, we've talked before, interest rates, historic lows, mm-hmm. super, super cheap to, to borrow money at the moment. Um, and so, you, the again, people people do their sums. Load well, me like up. You, 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 you type your numbers into the, to the loan calculator. Hey, here's how much I can borrow. Well, if you're taking um, a, an investment loan, and generally speaking, these, tend to, these things go for anywhere 10 to 30 years, yep. you really have to have a view of what's going to happen to interest rates yep. over that period. Now, again, we're not saying you have to be an economist and you have to need an accurate <laughs> forecast there. But if you're doing your sums and if it turns out that a 1% or 2% rise in interest rates is going to put you underwater or make you incapable of servicing your loan, yep. you know, maybe you maybe you lose a tenant for a few months and it takes a while to... You, you have to account for these things. Not, not because necessarily you, you expect them definitely to happen, yep. but as a just-in-case. Because if they do and there's no give there, there's no buffer, as we say, then there's really only one alternative. And that is you become a forced seller, yep. which means that you have to sell at whatever price you're given and that doesn't generally work out the well. very very worst thing in investing other than losing money for making a bad investment is to be a forced seller when That's you're forced terrible. to sell yep. the buyer knows that you're going to accept the bottom price possible because you need to get out they don't they know that they're going to buy at the cheapest price they can yep. you haven't got a strong hand to play with and especially if there's a lot of people in that scenario and you've got a lot of forced sellers coming onto the market the right. supply demand dynamic tips massively whole bunch of inventory comes onto the market not enough buyers to do it and that look 
economic, economics 101, right? The prices are just going get, to get knocked in, in that scenario. Two piece here, Andrew. You don't need to predict where interest rates are going, but you need to prepare for the fact they might be higher. Ooh, nicely you don't put. need to predict you're going to have people out of, out of your property, the property untenanted. You need to prepare for the fact that it might happen. If you do that well, if you prepare rather than predict, you don't need to be right but you'll still be in a good position. You'll have that buffer. The two Ps. You the heard it P's. here first. Exactly. I like that one. Phillips and Page. So the last one, lucky last. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> Took me a second to get that. Okay. Uh, com compared to what I, I think we need to do now in yes. investing again, 101, you've got to, you've got to have this concept of what the, what the uh, academics would call opportunity cost. Lay, oh. lay it out for me, Scott. Can't what's op what's right. opportunity cost? Let, now I've got to try and make it interesting. Here we go. <laughs> so basically whenever you spend a dollar, yep, that, that dollar has a cost. Not only is it a cost you a dollar, but the cost is what you otherwise could have spent that dollar on. Mm. I can buy a Coke or a coffee yep. or a sandwich. Yep. None of those cost a dollar these days, by the way, but I'm just old. But with the same amount of money, you can't buy all three of those things. Yep. So you've got to decide when you walk to the counter of the shop with the money you've got in your hand, yep. which one of those you want. The cost of the Coke is a couple of bucks, yep. but it's also an opportunity cost of the sandwich or the coffee that you didn't get because you bought the Coke. So what you're saying, I guess what we're saying here is that if you're going to make an investment uh, in, in property, yes. Uh, and you've done your sums and you've gone through those other points in the checklist. Yes. You and then you've you've come up with some kind of return expectation. Now necessarily vague. It's it's a guess at the best yep. of time, but hopefully you've, you've arrived at it from a fairly sound process. Yes. You then it, it's not a matter of what that is in and of itself. It's how that compares elsewhere. Now hypothetically, in a completely made up fictional universe, if I can get twenty percent by putting my money in a term deposit. Yes. Why the hell am I investing in an investment profit, even if it's going to give me a double digit ten percent return? It's totally. crazy. I'm totally. getting double the return with with virtually no risk. So you have to compare it next to other uses for your cash. You've only got that money to use once. You can use it one time on the best possible asset you can find yep. with risk. So, you know, you're not going to get a 20% term deposit. If you're offered 20%, don't take it, by the way. Um, but, you know, you, you're going to get that opportunity. You can buy, and the same with shares. That You, you can buy one of 2,000 individual companies on the stock exchange. Mm. But when you put your money down on Woolies that we talked about before, yep. you can't use that money to buy West Farmers or CSL or yep. BHP or something else, anything else. Yes. You can only flight center, you can only buy one company with that money. And that's the point. The question is, is this, it's not, is this a good investment? Is, yep. It's, is this a good investment relative to? Correct. And, and that's, I guess, the point we're trying to make. Because frankly, if someone said to you, Andrew, I'll pay you a hundred bucks a week to do this job. Yeah. You'll say, well, do you want the hundred bucks? Yes. But what else could I be doing instead with my time? Yeah. You're not, yeah, the hundred bucks is nice, but you'll take something else that pays you something more. And that's the key part. In my case, it'd be a big pay rise. So I'd, I'd probably take it. <laughs> Almost double. Let's, let's, uh, let's wrap it up before we go. Don't forget. You can subscribe to triple M's Motley Fool Money through iTunes and your favorite Android podcast app. And of course you can do it at the website, triplem.com.au forward slash podcast. And if you like what you're doing, please give us a five-star rating. Scott, thank you very much. Thank you, Andrew. Until next time, full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.